All right, let's rock. It's another episode of Keo Conversations. My name is Mark. I am your host. It's my job to unpack these stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game personally and professionally. Today, I am chatting with Chris, who is a designer technologist and the inventor of the hashtag. Yes, that awesome little symbol that has allowed for so many incredible movements to take place around the world, including one that we launched last week um, titled Being Human. And this was all in support of the mental health for students around the world. So I have to send out a thank you personally to Chris from our team because we were able to reach over 1.4 million people with that campaign, which wouldn't have been possible without his uh, forethought into what a hashtag can do. So enjoy this conversation. He is a fascinating human being. It's loaded full of great mental fitness practices, and he just has a really awesome perspective on culture and society and life in general. And you'll see he's on a whole other path with with his own journey personally, which um, there's a lot of mental fitness involved in that, just just navigating this, this new journey for himself. So enjoy. And if you are, you know what to do. Please leave us a review wherever you're listening from. And lastly, this podcast, the conversation, everything related to the show is brought to you by Keo, our daily mental fitness app. All of these incredible guests end up in app to help guide you through your daily mental fitness. Search KYO in the Apple App Store and take it for a spin. Thank you as always for your attention today and have the absolute best day yet. Who are you or what defines you as a person? Wow. Um, okay. Well, you start hot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just like dive right in. This is the way I like it. Um, you know, I think uh, now that I've known myself for a little while, um, I think what and who I am um, is, is a very curious person um, that, that seems to define a lot of my, my activities and behaviors. And um, I would say in the last several years, I've become a lot more um, introspective and self-aware and, you know, I've always been pretty self-critical, but um, maybe without a lot of mm, compassion mixed in to sort of, you know, recognize like my monkey ways uh, and the monkey ways of everybody around me. And so um, I think what I've kind of turned into is somebody who um, cares a lot about technology and like product design and the ways in which, you know, humans kind of expand and extend themselves into their environment. But um I think I'm also someone that, you know, cares deeply about uh, a kind of like empathetic interaction or response that I have with other people. And the way in which I come at so much of my life, I think, has has become a lot less judgmental. Um, and I think I probably started out a little less judgmental than most, but I, I think I worked to maybe develop that skill and that capacity over time so that when I encounter either new people or new things or new technology or new ideas... You know, I try to um, interact with them with as much as a child's mind as, as possible. Um, and that seems to elicit the most pure and most interesting, you know, kind of insights and, and ways of, of, of learning or knowing. Um, so I find myself in a very interesting moment in my life, I guess, uh, which is just that um, I've just left San Francisco after living there for about 14 years and I've become something of a digital nomad. So I am very much in a kind of like child's mind moment of... Um, you know, 
in, encountering the world anew uh, without a lot of sense for, for what's happening next. And so I'm very much living moment to moment. So many questions based on that. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for sharing that, that yeah. detail. So, so how do you feel right now? Cause this, this journey just started. Yeah. You know, so I, I packed everything up that I own, um, you know, in San Francisco and put it into storage on February 10th, um, which is uh, just over a month and a half ago. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, on the one hand, I feel a lot lighter because I'm living in a, you know, two suitcases after having, you know, kind of always had a permanent fixed address. Uh, now I don't have one anymore. And um, on the one hand, it's, you know, kind of terrifying feels like, like too strong a word, too heavy of an emotion, sure. like, like it's like too much in an activated state. But, um, you know, I, I sort of like in this period of, of kind of jumping out of an airplane and hoping that, you know, the internet and uh, my network of, of friends and contacts that I developed over the last you know, decade or so are going to help me put together a parachute on my way down. Um, and you know, not, <laughs> not far off from building a company. <laughs> no, I mean, these things are very similar, very similar skills, right? Um, you know, it is nice to like know where you're going to like sleep, you know, uh, you know, in two weeks or something, but, uh, well, whatever, you know, it's sort of like, where you're going to get like your next customer. I mean, these are similar problems. Um, so, I guess that's, that's kind of like where I am. And on the one hand, it's like exhilarating and, and, and sometimes it's lonely and, um, you know, but, but uh, I'm, what, what I guess I'm hoping to, to find and discover is to put myself in a bunch of different unknown contexts, you know, where I can really only rely on myself. And, um, I've spent my life kind of in a lot of different types of relationships, a lot of romantic relationships over my life. And this is the first time in my life really that I'm, primarily on my own and doing, you know, kind of all my stunts by myself. So, um, that mm. means that I'm the common, um, sort of, well, it's not a variable. Therefore, uh, it's the, the, the constant, I am the constant in all the places that I will go. And so therefore I get to see what actually is me and is true versus what is kind of de determined or dependent on my environment around me. Um, and that that's true for the people that I'll meet and encounter and the situations that I find myself in and how I adapt and respond. And so I feel like it's a really good way of, of just like, you know, cleaning the deck, so to speak, and, and, and seeing what's left. Um, so in that sense, uh, I'm feeling, I think, a lot more centered in myself. That's fascinating. I, I can feel, uh, I mean, we've only been chatting for a few minutes and I can already <laughs> feel that strong sense of curiosity coming out yeah. um, or, or, coming back, I guess, because it, it's interesting, you know, a lot of the times when having these conversations, it's the, the, the idea or the notion of our childlike selves typically mm -hmm. comes up because we're all born right with, without that judgment, with the curiosity, with just that kind of playful, you know, mind and all of that. And then we get to some point where we're, we're, we're trying to go back to that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, it always fascinates me. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm curious, like how you, um, I mean, in your own experience of yourself, you know, where are those moments where you feel like your mind has the most plasticity versus those when you feel perhaps most constrained or closed? That's a great question. Um, I think when you, for me, it's when I allow space in my mind. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. like when I'm, when it comes down to really just hard decisions or times where there, it feels like a little bit higher stress, it's usually because of, you know, timelines or, you know, I guess hard deadlines or whatever there are the, these, these milestones that are, that are put in place 
versus, and you hear this all the time, right? Like when people have, or, <clears throat> excuse me, having um, new ideas come to light, it's, it's in the shower or it's on a run or, but the, you know, and the consistent seems to be you're giving yourself mm. mental space, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. that's why I'm really curious um, for you having left, uh, you know, a, a world that has been pretty consistent, I guess, for you for, for mm-hmm. years now. And I'd love to, obviously, let's mm-hmm. get into a little bit of your story um, and then we'll, we'll pick things back up. But now you're in this this whole other world where, like you're saying, it's, it's kind of you and your mind and figuring things out and being open and, ex- you know, looking for these new experiences. So it's, uh, I'm fascinated to see this journey unfold with you. Yeah, I think, um, you know, like, I mean, on that point and on the, I guess the notion of having maybe spaciousness for your thoughts, um, mm-hmm. again, trying to achieve or, or regress some of the judgment that we learn over years to, you know, narrow the field of the possible into a set of, you know, heuristics for, um, responding to, um, stimuli or inputs or tasks or, you know, people in our environment, right. Like to sort of speed things up, um, mm-hmm. you know, like, I think one of the things that I'm working on now, uh, I think this year, some of the, like the, the life lessons that I'm trying to pick up um, pertain to things related to um, trust, intuition, and pleasure. These are sort of like three areas that I'm like focusing on or just like thematically paying attention to things that kind of pop up that kind of, you know, are, are, are maybe reminders or um, positive um, mm, feedback mechanisms that come in, you know, out of conversations or out of my environment. And I say that because having spent the time that I spent in Silicon Valley and having started out largely as kind of a workaholic um, who just kind of threw himself into his work and spent so much time in the abstract and so much time in his mind. And I think connecting to people for the most part through, through, through a conversation about work, through what they were doing, through, you know, who were they based on the things that they spent their times on their time on, as opposed to who are they based on maybe how they, how they feel about things or how they understand themselves or the stories that they tell about themselves or what are they developing towards, or, you know, what are they struggling with in that moment? Um, I guess I feel like there was, there was a transition after I left Google in 2013. Um, when I, I feel like, you know, my, the second life that I have had, uh, started and, um, that was a period, I think, when I started to learn how to be more of an emotional person and to actually feel things more. And then um, what I think has been so interesting, perhaps lately in the last several months even, is to start to recognize that um, I'm one of those strange people that spent a lot of time in Silicon Valley, but I'm actually more of a right brain person. So we've kind of spent, uh, at least in Silicon Valley, like the last 40 or 50 years, really privileging the left brain and the kind of cold rational logic of the left brain in order mm-hmm. to make everything somewhat more programmable and, um, you know, reliable and consistent. And, and yet reality itself is not consistent yet. We kind of teach ourselves that it is in order to make it again, um, easier to manipulate, you know? And so now there's this whole engineering culture that's grown up around writing tests to make sure things happen in a certain way and it's, you know, reliable and, and so on. And, uh, it leaves out a lot of, a lot of the feeling and the, the intuitive, uh, richness and fidelity of, of human experience and the way of human knowing. Um, and only recently have we, you know, and I, I, I guess like I've been sort of reading some things about like quantum mechanics, um, and, and also the nature of, um, well, 
that there is no th- such thing as objective reality, that all reality is, is subjectively experienced. And so there is no way actually for you or I or anybody else in the world to have the exact same experience of something. Even if we're looking at the you know, same, let's say, red ball, the way in which you and I interpret it and experience it will be based on a whole host of um, you know, lessons and learnings and things that we've built up over time in terms of how red makes us feel or what memories we might have. And so um, that also sort of suggests that um, developing an empathetic response or, or, or having an empathetic component to the way in which you interpret things is actually incredibly important to leaving some space for <laughs> the, the, the reality of the way something actually is, as opposed to believing that what you see is what everyone else sees. Um, Totally. And so, so, you know, I guess, I guess all I'm trying to say is, is I've been leaning on developing more of that right side um, of my mind um, because I spent so, so, so long on the left side because that was the culture around me. And I've come to realize how much I was leaving out um, of, of my lived experience as a result. Well, it's, it, it's interesting because uh, I mean, I read um, one of your posts on medium in terms of why you left um, the, the Bay area. And it, it's, we were talking about Tim Ferriss before uh, we started recording, which it sounds like he left for what, similar reasons. And, and I, I'll quote what you, what you put down. It was, you know, you didn't, you, you weren't leaving to kind of flee the city it was more so that uh, or more that you didn't recognize your yourself anymore in that, mm-hmm. in that city. Right, which I feel, correct me if I'm wrong. I feel what you just described is basically exactly that. Right? Yeah, that's right. Like I, I just noticed, um, you know, I think there was, you know, I spent a year at Uber, and then I kind of came out and immediately jumped into a startup. And those two periods were very intense, very much about work, and it was very much heads down and um, kind of in a bunker. And when I came out the other end, you know, I kind of like looked around, and it, it felt like the city had had changed and become a lot more professionalized that the kind of makers and doers, you know, that I originally found in the city when I arrived in 2004, um, you know, just weren't really there. You know, they moved to Portland or Austin or, you know, New York, you know, they just kind of like fled because um, in in some ways the the culture became, um, I think, less inviting of, you know, the weirdos and the geeks who, you know, have these sort of like pure passions and love doing what they do. And they sort of happen to find a way of making money out of it. I feel like, this is the, the 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 cycle within San Francisco where, you know, for, for for whatever reason, people will figure out how to make a bunch of money, whether it's you know through silicon chips or whether it's software um, and social media and you know or gold. They'll flock mm-hmm. to the city. Uh, you know, a bunch of professional people will show up. Um, those people are there for the money, and uh, it's just like culturally less interesting to me. Although you know, money has its purpose. Um, and then eventually you just like the conversations that you have, although they're super advanced, tend to be a little bit brittle because in order to sort of, um, I guess, get ahead, you have to be so narrowly focused and such an expert in a thing that there's just very, very few people that you can actually relate to um, and have a conversation on that level. I mean, this is kind of why, you know, academic yeah. institutions that focus and specialize, um, you know, do so. It's because you can have very precise conversations about something that you're working on with other people who are at that level. Um, and so I think being something of a generalist myself and someone who is just interested in the world and the crossover between all these things, that type of thinking just isn't quite as um, necessary in the state of things right now. I mean, it is absolutely very necessary, but um, it feels as though there's been more of a concentration of talent around specific disciplines um, as opposed to people who are kind of you know, thinking in broad swaths. 
Well, and I think people are just just naturally given the, you know, the evolution of technology and all the content and all this, you know, the noise we hear around social media, people are looking inward, right? More and more, um, almost out of, uh, this might be a, uh, you know, a harsh statement, but almost out of survival, mm. right? Like, you know, we're, we're just not wired to, to handle that amount of content and mm. that amount of, of, of stimulus, right? So, mm. Um, like sleep is no longer enough to recuperate and, you know, sleep in itself or we're just in general, most statistically speaking, aren't getting enough sleep anyway. So that's where I, I feel like this is just my prediction, mm-hmm. why you're seeing a lot of, you know, the different meditation apps and a lot of uh, wellness practices and people uh, like yourself kind of stepping back and questioning, you know, where, like, where's that connection gone? And, and, and the, you know, that certain part of the brain is, has been kind of neglected, right? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm curious, uh, Chris, just because, you know, when I was doing the research for this, um, what kept coming up for me was like, there's, there's obviously, uh, I don't want to just glaze over it because, you know, the invention of the hashtag, that's a pretty big, <laughs> it's a pretty big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, so there, there's that, there's you know, bar camp, there's, you know, launching one of the first social or sorry, co-working spaces in San Francisco. Like a lot mm-hmm. of the ties for me, what I was seeing was this social movement link. Mm-hmm. Yes. So where does that aspect now fit into what you're exploring and having left? Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm actually really glad that you asked that. Uh, Cause I would say that um, even as uh, maybe a couple of weeks ago, I probably didn't have a very good answer, but um, in part part of part of coming to Lisbon um, is about um, giving a talk, and, and the, the talk is coming up on this Friday. And then after that, I'm going to Bend, Oregon, where I'm giving a talk um, at a TEDx. And so, um, for better or worse, I've been sort of like heads down thinking about what I want to present and what I want to talk on. And it's kind of exactly the answer to this question. And mm. when I look at like my career and I look at my interests. I mean, I have a pretty unconventional career because I just never really took it seriously. It just was more like um, following, you know, my bliss and following serendipity. And I knew from a very young age that I wanted to work on social technology. You know, I found the the web very young, um, and I found the web as a place to go where you know people could connect and can, could be brought together. And I mean, I think you know Zuck was right in a lot of ways when you know he set Facebook's mission to you know connect the world and make it more open. I think. Um, I certainly, again, having arrived in Silicon Valley in 2004, um, quickly getting involved with like the open source community because I wasn't really, you know, an engineer, but I loved, you know, technology um, and finding a way to, to contribute, you know, was super important. The very next project that I worked on was a social browser called Flock, you know, because I believed that one way to um, in, in ensure that uh, freedom could be uh, maintained on the internet would be to build identity into the browser itself as opposed to relying on any one company to own internet identity. And so we actually started, um, you know, building that into um, a distribution of, of Firefox. And then um, there was a realization that, you know, you, you, you had to give your password to all these different websites, um, which then created a very insecure environment. And so we had to go about creating a bunch of formats and protocols, essentially, to uh, enable websites to be part of this broader social web. And so I spent a couple of years working on um, formats and protocols to do that, um, and some of which became very popular. One was um, called OAuth, and now that's used to um, provide 
the ability for users to authorize uh, one website to access your data from another website without exchanging your password. And then, um, you know, another one that obviously was popular was the hashtag. And these all came out of the same core concept and the same core insight, which was how do we give people the ability to um, essentially perhaps own their own identity, their own data, and then choose how to share it, you know, through the internet. Um, so that's, that's one side of it. And that's the digital side of it. On the flip side of it, I also thought that social technology was that which brought people together in the real world, perhaps using digital technology. And so Barcamp was uh, this event that we organized in 2005 um, for a lot of the early web ecosystem. And um, largely it was about getting people who had known each other online, you know, through pseudonyms to come together in meet space and actually meet face to face. And um, people oh, had such a good that. time doing that. Right. I mean, this is like this is like the early days when the web was not something you took for granted, when we didn't have cell phones that were connected to the Internet. Um, you know, and and so after that, because there was such a desire for people who, again, were using the web and were finding so much value from it um, that we wanted a place where we could go, where we could kind of have bar camp every day. And that was the inspiration for co-working. Uh, my friend Brad Newberg had the first co-working space that he kind of like started up and and gave it a name and was meeting um, I think bi-weekly and getting people together and saying, look, you know, we are web workers. Why don't we come together uh, in this place? And it was like, well, how do we take that idea and make something that's more permanent? You know, so we actually have an organizing place. And so that was how we started the co-working uh, uh, movement. Um, and so I guess the way that I look at it is like, there's just been this back and forth between the digital and the real, bringing people together yeah. online and then bring them together offline. And now, as you say, Actually, it's really funny. Um, if you if you go back, I wrote a blog post in I think two thousand five or six called "The Cult of the Vagabond Hacker," and uh, you know it's a very dramatic title. <laughs> but I essentially was calling for this international global network of of web workers, and the idea and the hope was that you could go anywhere in the world, find a place where you could like set your laptop and get some work done. There was a local community of people who just kind of knew. You know, it was like maybe like the guilds of of the olden days, and. Um, and it would just allow people this kind of mobility. You know, we would be citizens of of the internet uh, effectively. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, this is why I had an agency called Citizen Agency. And um, anyways, now it's so remarkable to me that 14 years later, I look back on that blog post and I've basically become the thing that I wrote that I wanted to do, you know, that totally. that network now exists and I can go anywhere in the world. And literally like, uh, let's see, this is like two days ago. I went into a, a cafe um, here in Lisbon called uh, Hello Christophe. And uh, I, I, you know, I sat down and, you know, like I've been here for a couple of weeks. It's been a little bit like, you know, lonely kind of just on my own doing my own thing. And I get this DM on Twitter and um, this, this woman uh, sent me a message and she's like, Hey, are, are you sitting across from me in a cafe in Lisbon? And it's like, uh, <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> and so I look up and there she is. And, um, it turned out she's like this designer who works at Shopify. And um, <laughs> I, I had hunted her product, you know, kind of, I don't know, a year ago. And here we are, like in this random city in the world, you know, uh, just like having this chance meeting. Yeah. So anyways, we like quickly, you know, say hello and, and catch up. And then we kind of go back to work. And then the cafe closes. And she's like, hey, do you want to like come to the co-working space where, you know, I'm working out of? And I was like, oh, my God, there's like co-working here. Like, I, you know, I'm, of course there is. But. I had no idea. And um, it's just, it's, it's remarkable to me that you kind of set these ideas in motion. Um, and then years later, they, they just, they, they, they blossom everywhere. I have another good story about that actually too, which kind of also fits into 
a long and roundabout way of answering your question, but I'm still answering your question. Um, yeah, yeah is that, that is great. <laughs> I, I went, uh, I went back home. Um, I grew up in New Hampshire and a lot of my family is still on the East coast. And, um, my brother, my younger brother, he's three years younger. He, um, runs this, uh, kind of company that does, uh, lighting and sound and set design for, for these big, um, you know, kind of, uh, I mean, they're mostly like Christian events, but these big events. Okay. And, um, he finally, you know, got an office for, for his, his work. And, um, he's like super proud and like the place is all gutted and he's like walking me around and like showing me and he's like, he's like, yeah, you know, I've got like these really big ideas for like what I want to do with like, you know, technology in Southern New Hampshire. And I'm thinking about starting this thing. I don't know if you heard about it. It's called coworking. I'm going to have a coworking space here. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, Tim, do you, do you, do you know my relationship to coworking? He's like, no, no, no. It's like this awesome thing. It's like this, you know, this community space where you bring people. I'm like, okay. Yep. Good. I, I'm totally with you. If you need any help, let me know. Here's the post. And, right? <laughs> exactly. And, uh, so there's just like moments like that where um, it's, it's incredibly both like humbling and also I think um, promising that we have created this network to connect people together and it turns out it's working. And there are some problems. Uh, it's not perfect. This network that we built and that we you know, put in everyone's pocket through the supercomputer um, like, has enormous potential and enormous power. Um, but we also haven't done, I think, enough work to um, prepare people and get them ready for what this means and what it means to be a responsible sort of you know, net citizen. Um, and it's not just digital literacy. I think it's also about... Um, as you said, kind of dealing with this enormous amount of information that a single human would never have been able to consume or deal with or cope with, you know, at any other point in human history, each one of us is overwhelmed yeah. with so much information at such a rate that trying to make sense of it, you know, we're just overstimulated and it's really hard to, to separate, you know, the wheat from the chaff and, um, chaff. And that's why, uh, you know, fake news is so alluring because it preys on, um, the way that our, our response systems, you know, were sort of like designed to kind of take information in from the world and to decide, you know, are, is there, a, is there a risk? Is there a threat? You know, are we going to have enough food? Like, you know, is winter coming? Like, you know, all these things that are kind of constantly instinctually in the, in the background. Um, and it's made it very hard for us, I think, to, to have a level head about things. And so my, 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 the work that I seem to be coming to, and the thing that I think I want to work on next or am working on is the notion of essentially figuring out how to improve the technology of, of humans. Essentially, we need uh, to, like, to invest in the technology of better humans. Um, and I think the way that we do that is by separating the dichotomy and this distinction that we hold between our devices, which are made of you know, glass and silicone and metal, um, and ourselves. In fact, we built ourselves into the iPhone. We built ourselves into Android devices. Those are a literal reflection of us. Yes, they are black mirrors, but it's also because all the assumptions and ideas that we have about the world are baked into these devices. And it turns out that we're just starting to learn about ourselves and about what we need and about um, the type of affection and comfort and joy and all that stuff um, that's necessary in order to maintain a healthy mental attitude um, and, and, and sort of general overall fitness. And so, so, I mean, even the stuff that you're working on, I think is definitely mm -hmm. like part of it, you know, and the more that we can spread those types of activities and those types of behaviors and that type of, you know, self-compassion and self-knowing and curiosity 
um, I think the better we're going to be. Um, so that's a long way to answer your question. No, but thank you so much for the, for those details. And, you know, even just going right back to, you know, some of these points about, you know, following your intuition and, and all of that, I mean, that's how we essentially connected, right? Was right. you know, there were a lot of, of points popping up. I mean, I couldn't have guessed that you would answer a question like that the way you did, because it, <laughs> it aligns so much with, um, I mean, myself personally, but then also the, the work that, that we're trying to put out there. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, I'm always amazed because, you know, we get often on, on our side is when people think of journaling or reflective writing, a lot of time it either goes into a, uh, a conversation around gratitude practices mm-hmm. or goes into releasing worries and, and fears and anxiety and whatnot. But one thing people don't talk about as much, which I, I feel is, is so powerful, is it, your blog posts, essentially. Like that is a journaling mm-hmm. practice, writing mm-hmm. out, you know, uh, the questions I use sometimes, you know, how do I want my life to look and feel in three years or five years from now? Um, and it's always so amazing when you go back to a, a post like that, it, exactly what you described, that how much of that has actually come to fruition, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just taking enough time to slow down and and take some time for that that reflection, which I think loops into another point that you that you made and that I often contemplate with. It's you know, it's not the technology; it's it's the relationship we have with our technology and devices that mm-hmm. you know we need to work on. Because even even our app or any of these wellness apps, I mean, if you're going into if picking up your phone and getting nailed with mm-hmm. notifications before you're trying to you know load up Headspace, uh, you've kind of lost a bit of the magic there, right? <laughs> so, and there are obviously easy things to to to, to and quick things to to, to shift that. Um, so that you can then get get the advantages and and be the owner and still get all the the benefits of the of the technology that's uh, available to us. So, yeah, we're in a really interesting place. I'm I'm curious to see um, how it continues to to evolve and to see as we spend more time on ourselves and as the technology progresses, where we find that kind of sweet spot. Yeah, um, you know it's funny as you're talking, describing this, I'm kind of playing out some futures because on the one hand, I completely agree with you. It's, there's this, um, I don't, I don't necessarily want to call it an oxymoron, but, um, the fact that we're using these devices, which are full of distractions in order to free ourselves from the distraction is like an overloading, you know, of, um, well, both the purpose of the device and the type of relationship that we sh- should expect to have with it. Um, you know, and uh, I've, I've um, read a lot and, and listened to a lot of Esther Perel's work. And, mm. you know, she, um, I think, makes this really great observation about um, modern relationships, specifically, you know, romantic or, or um, you know, partner relationships, where um, one of the big pressures on, on marriage um, and, and marriages is that we're looking to get so much support um, out of a single person and, and to ask a single person to play so many different roles for us that used to be covered by a whole host of different individuals. Um, but now we're, we're, we're asking one person to do that for us. And in a similar way, we're asking the same thing of this entertainment device, you know, which started out, you know, as mostly like, you know, as a music device, as a phone, as an internet communicator, whatever Steve Jobs said, um, to also now help to, um, train our, our cognitive faculties and our, our cognitive abilities. And it can, you know, because it is, uh, 
a device that is a, a master of electrons. And, and as a result of, of working with electrons, as opposed to, you know, uh, like, like, uh, a physical, um, mm, mm, I don't know what the word is. Basically like normally I, I draw an analogy between like the combustion engine and like, okay. like the CPU essentially as these two different yeah. modalities for affecting and changing the world and dealing with pure information gives us so much more power than having to move atoms around. It's, it's the atoms and bits um, uh, comparison essentially. Sure. And so anyways, as a result, because this device works in electrons and works in information, it can be modified to do so many different things for us. But then as, as we say, like, you know, having a single individual in our life that does all those things creates a very curious and confusing relationship, right? It's, it's sort of like, you know, it's providing you donuts and it's also like your physical trainer. You're like, which is it? You know, like, I don't know how to relate to you and I love you in all these ways. Yeah. And oh my God, I hate you in all these ways too. And so you're left in this kind of, um, you know, chaos, uh, I suppose, where you're like, oh, I, I want to take my phone out with me tonight because I want to take some photos, but I also don't want to get stuck you know, at a restaurant with friends, you know, getting sucked in because it's so easy, you know, it's so slick. It's just, I mean, it's designed to kind of just lull you in. It's so seductive, you know, and we're yeah. being seduced constantly. And that type of constant seduction just wears away at our willpower um, and takes away a lot of our agency, which we thought was all about, you know, individual control and freedom. Totally. But I, I think that's where, um, like as humans and we all differ on this, but it, you know, we all, all have our vices and it's, it's, it's having that self-awareness to know what's, what's going to get you. Like, I know if I have social media icons on the first or mm -hmm. second screen of my iPhone with badges, like I, you know, it, like you said, they're designed to lure you in. So I don't, right. They're three, they're mm -hmm. three screens deep. There's no badges. I still go in obviously and check that, mm -hmm. but uh, like on my own time, for example, whereas the first screen of my iPhone has all physical and mental fitness type mm -hmm. apps. Mm -hmm. So, but, but again, I mean, that works for me and I, there's, you know, I, I'm not perfect in this either, but then it, I, I feel at least gives you a little bit of a, of a balance to, um, get the benefits of, of, of kind of these, these both worlds. Right. Cause the other thing you touched on, which oh, go ahead, Chris. Well, I, I just, just quickly, I just had this thought about secondhand smoke and I was thinking about it in the sense of, of how it's great for like you or I to do that. Um, and, and none of us are, are perfect and, and I'm not perfect. Certainly about this. I'm probably, well, anyways. Um, but even if you have, you know, kind of your, uh, social media sort of, you know, junk food apps on the third screen, if you happen to go out with friends or family members or whomever, you know, that, that haven't chosen to go down that path or haven't um, opted into a little more self-control um, in order to create that um, speed bump, you know, to getting their next hit, then when you're out with them and they pick up the phone and dive in, isn't it that much harder for us to resist that? Like that, that to me feels like yeah. that kind of, it's almost a cognitive secondhand smoke. You know, where, yeah, and so it's I, it's a good analogy <laughs> to me. I'm just like, how do we then encourage a broader culture to have more mindfulness around these devices? How do we, you know, I mean, like, I think that's like kind of what needs to happen. And, and like I said, like, you're kind of working on this already, um, through your app, but I'd be so fascinated and so interested to learn about the users of, of your app and what their own, you know, habits and behaviors are and where they, you know, slip up and what are the, the things that they are not even cognizant of that, again, seduce them back down this other path um, and out of uh, manifesting the intentions that they desire for themselves or for the people that they care about. 
Well, we have that exact question on on the docket. So uh, it's something that you actually uh-huh. brought up at the beginning of the conversation, and it's the first time uh, we're going to be diving into this, but we're really focusing on um, user behavior type design and, and research versus mm. you know pure analytical. And it's um, so we're really excited. I mean, this is again literally we just approved this today. So it's Amazing. pretty hot off the press because we've gone through a really interesting journey too. It's been uh, about 12, 13 months, the app's been on the market, but it originally was designed for us. Like it was a, uh, you heard the story mm-hmm. before we started recording. I mean, it was a scratch your own itch type product. And, and, you know, now we have a, uh, you know, a good amount of people coming through that we really want to provide something of value and, and contribute to everything we've been just talking about, right. Mm-hmm. In, in a positive positive way and part of that includes going from online to offline like we can yeah, I was reach ask about that. Like, how do you think about that because I, I feel like that's one of the things that's very challenging and daunting right because i think about mm-hmm. things sometimes from like uh like what is expensive and it's expensive to coordinate people like other humans it's coordinate you know to like get everyone scheduled to align you know to go out and have a meetup or you know to, to build community or um, create community that, that, that takes a lot of work, energy, focus, attention, time, et cetera. And there's, again, all these other, other um, you know, kind of like cheap calories that are, that are there to, you know, to lure you away from that. So when you're thinking about yeah. it in terms of your app and, and your ecosystem, what does that look like for you? As, I mean, that's a great question and great perspective. Um, the, way, the way we're looking at it is full stop, our purpose is to stimulate reflection and it it just so happens that the the first couple offerings are you know what we're on right now the podcast and then the actual app but like you know I have a pen I have a notebook I, like we're not purely digital um humans over here at 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 Keo so some of that revolves around well what can we do in terms of events or even small meetups but I would say the the biggest focus is just by having cuz I've experienced this myself and I'm sure you have just just by being involved in a practice like this or being involved in a practice like meditation all of a sudden starts opening up other doors and then Mm -hmm. now all of a sudden you're a little bit more open to oh maybe i'll try out that retreat um you know in in this location or there's a meetup happening that is around this space and if we can help stimulate that and it's not necessarily provided by us as a company but we Mm -hmm. can just stimulate that mindset Mm -hmm. then i think we're, we're you know we're on to something and because then it gives you, then it gives you an ecosystem of, of, of offerings for your, for your own wellness or whatever you need in, in your life right now, for example. Yeah, so, I think it's, yeah, I think it's really important. And what, what was just sort of, I guess, coming up for me was like, I mean, I think this type of intervention is, um, and by intervention, I mean, uh, providing kind of, uh, maybe a simple on-ramp or way of getting into, you know, mindfulness and self-reflection and um, being willing to let go of, of, of judgment and the reaction kind of like the automatic reaction of, of shame, you know, when, when you don't understand something, you don't like it. And you're kind of like trying to neutralize or minimize, you know, the, 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 the pain of, of not knowing um, or not being, mm-hmm. you know, in theory, good enough or something. Um, it feels like the, like everybody, everybody <laughs> like in the world kind of needs some of this. And so then my question is how do you, deliver this to the broadest number of people. Um, so that it almost seduces them as well as, you know, you know, the apps and things like that do. Um, yeah. And, and to sort of create a little bit more situational awareness. And so essentially, again, like from a cultural production perspective, I mean, when I think about 
when I think about like the hashtag, for example, um, here is like this simple idea that came out of uh, this early kind of social web culture um, where there was a clear problem that needed to be solved, which was, okay, you know, we've got this like great new platform for publishing what we're up to and what we're doing called Twitter, but how do we make it actually, you know, useful uh, for people? How do we make it so it's not just a bunch of noise where every message goes to every other user and um, there's a lot of stuff that just isn't relevant to you? Well, we have to ask everybody to essentially describe uh, to, to Twitter and to the system what this content is about. Well, how do you do that? Well, you know, before it was like, you know, you can post to a group. Okay, well, now you have to go to a group and now it's management, now it's overhead. That just doesn't work over SMS, you know, or you have to have another forum input, you know, that's specifically for the labels for your post. Well, that doesn't work over SMS either because you have one text box. Okay, well, so we can solve this problem by just putting uh, an indicator or identifier within the text itself. Um, and that'll be the way of kind of saying, you know, this is... Um, use this content for that purpose as well. Just like an app mention is like, this mm -hmm. is for a person, you know, the pound symbol is for uh, a topic. Um, and that's kind of like how it started. And because, you know, I was so early on that, on, the, on that, on that platform and that software, right. We went from like, you know, I was the 1,186th user to sign up for Twitter. And now there's over 320 million people on Twitter. Right. So if you get there early, you can set a lot of the foundational behaviors that then over time, just like through compound interest, you know, become written into the culture and the defaults of the system such that the later users don't even question it. So what I'm thinking about right mm -hmm. now is how you take some of this self-reflection and, and desire to create and stimulate mindfulness, you know, in the world and build it into the next uh, step function change in the way in which we compute. And to me, that is going to come through things like, you know, Alexa and Siri and voice computing. That's the thing mm -hmm. that is starting to be everywhere, um, but it's not. And there's still so much work to be done to make it good. And so then is it possible that these, that the characters or the personas that um, these AI companions uh, exhibit are more mindful, that they normalize that behavior, right? And that to me seems like this huge wedge that we could actually put in place now um, before these things, you know, become ubiquitous and we sort of assume that they're going to be, um, let's say as efficient and cold, um, you know, as like the command line and are in fact actually, you know, interested in, in, in creating more of that, that dynamic or that fidelity, um, of, of human experience and human connection. And I don't know if that's possible well, or realistic, but to me, that's how you scale what you're doing and what a lot of other folks in the space are trying to do to change actually consciousness over the next 10 to 15 years. Well, it's funny. I mean, we've had so many discussions, uh, especially even even two years ago when this all started uh, around that. Like the, the use case would be in our minds is that, again, keeping it super simple is you walk in your house and, you know, your Alexa or whatever you're using recognizes this and it's just asks you one simple question, right? What was the best part of the mm -hmm. day? Or, totally. you know, because that's our whole thing is and but we're to your point, it, it's still very early on. And we even just as a as a space or um, a group in terms of journaling, like we're probably two, three years behind um, meditation in terms of yeah. accepting it, this as, as a normal practice that, I mean, my waking up in a dream world would be that everyone is pri prioritizing mental fitness, just like they are physical fitness. And, mm -hmm. and that's our goal right? Um, to get that out there. And so right now it's the approach is, well, everyone's busy. Uh, it's not realistic to think that someone's going to take a, an hour out of their morning, uh, having not done any of this stuff to really, you know, prioritize their mind with whatever the practices are. So then how can we provide 
micro moments of reflection to at least get this started. And then going back to your original question, all of us, all of a sudden this starts opening up other opportunities and you start seeing the self-awareness starts developing and away you go. And this all started, you, you'll be able to relate to this because I know you're quite passionate mm-hmm. about photography, but mm-hmm. it started for me with photography because now you probably have this kind of same blessing. Like you can't walk down a street mm-hmm. without seeing light and composition and mm-hmm. wow, that'd be an incredible photograph, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but how can we get that all over the place in the sense of, oh, I, you know what? My shoulders have uh, risen up. Mm. Something must be bothering me. Like, let's, what is it? And let's just try to release it before it, it ends up into, you know, an anxiety attack or depression or whatever, whatever is manifesting. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's at least, that's, this is what we're try, trying to do, mm-hmm. uh, at least right now. We definitely share the same vision uh, along those lines. So let's stick with that because I want to respect your time and start wrapping up. Um, I definitely want to get, you know, a couple of the practices that you have in your life. And especially, I'm going to preface the question a little bit because you're out of your regular or what, mm-hmm. uh, out of a routine that let's say was probably pretty consistent for, for many years. Like what are some of the non-negotiables in your days now um, for your mind or your physical health that uh, you feel are really important? <laughs> Uh, well, I'm laughing because I, I'm not a very disciplined person. Um, and the people who have worked with me or know me know that. And so (laughs) to to be like, what are my non-negotiables? I'd be like, well, sleep is important. Um, you know, (laughs) sure. Probably, probably coffee in the morning, um, which is, you know, also probably not a great habit. So like, I've got a bunch of like, you know, things that I, that are a little bit like, you know, creature comforts, I guess that are part of about, Mm just coming back to myself a little bit. And I think, you know, um, I, so as I'm traveling now, I actually have, um, I have an AeroPress and I have a, um, oh man, I think it begins with a P anyways, I have a hand grinder, um, for my coffee. And so it's a very manual process. Um, and, and oftentimes I will also make my own breakfast. And so like, you know, I, I, I tend to have a very slow morning, which, you know, is a luxury that I recognize and is possible now that I'm, you know, kind of working for myself and doing some consulting, but certainly was not the case, like, you know, with startup or like working at Uber um, and definitely not when I was working at Google. Um, but, you know, I would say like, I, I tend to keep it pretty simple um, in terms of non-negotiables, but then in terms of like what my needs are, I, I've learned that I definitely need a lot of just, you know, kind of time for myself, a lot of time for thinking, reflecting, just like going off and kind of exploring and absorbing the world. And um, I do spend a lot of time in my head, but um I have actually, it's funny because, you know, I, I lived in the last place that I lived in, in San Francisco and Dogpatch for a year. And while I was living there, I actually was, you know, going to the gym on a regular basis and that became something of a non-negotiable. Um, but now that I'm traveling, I've actually kind of abandoned like the gym routine, obviously, cause I can't do that anymore, but now I've added yoga. And so like, that's totally new okay. and like, I'm such a novice and I'm so embarrassed by it. And so, you know, I can't even imagine going to a class, but, um, I am doing that with myself. And so okay. that's actually been good. So I do that in the mornings. Um, yeah. So I think, what about the thinking reflecting? Like, what does that look like? Cause yeah, uh, I, I can see that because you strike me as a very self-aware individual. You can feel that through the conversation, which typically mm-hmm. takes some time to, you know, see that. Right. So what is that? Is it, do you do that somewhere? Is there a certain time of day or, um, Hmm. You know, I guess maybe I'm just constantly having a dialogue with myself. Um, but I also just consume an enormous amount of stuff. Um, 
I tend not to read too much anymore. Well, I mean, I, I skim probably. I do a lot of audio, okay. so a lot of, a lot of podcasts. Um, you know, I'm reading probably four audiobooks right now. I probably consume maybe three to five podcasts a day. Um, you know, everything's on like two X. So yeah, just, you know, constant chatter, right? <laughs> like, you know, like, um, but, but it's always about kind of like seeing the connections between lots of different places and things. Um, to me, I, I see everything, like I'm a very visual thinker as well. And so there's a kind of, um, you know, intuition that I have about information when I feel it in my mind as a picture, as opposed to kind of a logical, I don't know, like a, I'm somewhat like logical and procedural, but I'm, I'm not that logical. It's because I can just see a picture and then describe it. Um, hmm. And, um, you know, I just like to have lots of conversations about, you know, people's experiences and what they're doing and what they're up to and what's happening. And I, I really, I really enjoy connecting to people in that way. So, um, it's like yeah. curiosity coming back. Yeah, it really, it, it, I think just being open to that. And I think that that curiosity I, I've, I've grown it and extended it towards myself. Um, you know, I've had a couple experiences where just like, I've, I've become more aware of how my mind works such that, you know, whether it's through meditation, actually meditation is something that I have started doing on a regular basis. And mostly I'm using Sam Harris's app. Um, okay. But just like kind of, I guess I was so tight in my mind for so long, um, trying to figure things out and trying to work things out all in this, like, you know, you know, logical structure. And it was just exhausting. And I would exhaust my friends because I just like ask questions constantly. And um, at some point I have to like take a step back and be like, you know, what is this really all about? And what is it for? And why is this important to you? And why is it so uncomfortable to not know? And what if you just lean into the not knowing and then wait until something comes up to you that seems like something you might know? And then you kind of look at it and you say, oh, actually, this seems pretty reasonable. So I've kind of like, I suppose mm. built up uh, some both like resilience in the face of not knowing and accepting that discomfort as part of the process of, of, of getting to, to gnosis and knowing. Um, and that that is my body kind of working out like a thought splinter, you know, like it sort of is right below the surface and you can see it and you know it and you want to get to it, but you can't. And so you just have to be like, you know what, my body's going to work this out, but like my mind's going to like come up with like the answer. Um, and so, Man, so, so in some ways, beautiful. you know, trying to come up with like, a, like a, a oblong or kind of different ways of seeing things and being like, oh, that's what was really going on. You know, I just didn't quite see the whole picture or um, I was so interested in, you know, one of the, one of the, the tricks that I use or kind of like conceptually, metaphorically think about is, um, you know, I grew up as, as, a, as an artist, like kind of drawing and, and painting and, and stuff like that. And um, one of the ways that you learn to draw is by drawing the negative space. Uh, drawing the, the the void, what what is not there, right? And so, if you're always drawing yeah. the positive space, you're always actually imposing your own view on what is there, as opposed to trying to feel for um, what what isn't there. And 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 in going to the spaces where there isn't something, there is actually a great deal of, of of information. In fact, you know, most of reality and most of the universe is made up of of dark matter. So it it should make sense then that. If you allow for that space for things to just kind of like, you know, come up to you, whether again, it's through walking or taking a shower or meditating or whatever it is, um, that is, it, it's actually a way of working with the grain of, of reality um, as opposed to trying to force yourself to see something that just isn't inside of you yet. Well, it's because it's all there. And like, I mean, this is what I've learned yeah, mm -hmm. over the last few years of, of, of launching this company, but it's been about 12 years of actually journaling. It's just mm -hmm. that we have so many of the answers to our own questions that, yes. you know, 
it, it's you really actually don't have to buy that next book if you take a bit of time to just think it through mm-hmm. or ask the right questions, right? Well, you know what's what's what I found so interesting, and um, I'm sorry to just keep going, but this is just you know this is so great. Um, you know, one of the amazing things about leaving uh, San Francisco was taking you know my 12 to 14 years of stuff and having to whittle it down. And I've gone through a series of moves over the like the last several years, and so this wasn't the first time that I'd done that, but. Um, what I found, you know, besides having read, you know, Marie Kondo's book before and kind of you know, <laughs> sure. going, going through the, the, the Sparks Joy process um, was what I was realizing, you know, is that a lot of people have come and gone in my life. And in, in, in some ways, perhaps the reason why I, I was holding on to certain things, you know, was because um, I, I controlled the relationship. So the things that I had in my bedroom or that I had around my house, these are things that couldn't leave me, you know, they had no agency. And so I, I, I realized that this is like a way of actually holding on to a version of myself that I was afraid to let go because I thought I might lose myself. But what I think I realized in, in letting go of a lot of the things that I'd held on to for so long um, was that in doing so, first of all, it was an act of faith, just like kind of jumping out of the airplane and like hoping that my parachute just mag- magically kind of, you know, creates itself. Um, but then also to the, to your point about knowing, well, these stories are all actually part of me and they will come up if they need to come up. Like I just had to learn to trust and have faith. And then by getting rid of these physical embodiments of those stories and of those narratives, um, it would create more space for new stories and more narratives and, and more growth, um, in my, in myself. And so I, I kind of feel like I've, I've tilled my soil and, you know, there's a lot of good nutrients in there from like, you know, successive harvests over like all the years. And I didn't need to leave kind of all that, like detritus, like rat or like rotting because it just wasn't serving me anymore. And frankly, it was getting in my way. Man, well, so well said that that's, uh, I can, <laughs> I have the visuals there. <laughs> it is my mind. It's amazing. Exactly. Um, Chris, I have to get your reflective questions. Uh, I mean, you've definitely mm. left a few throughout this conversation, and it's totally fine to to repeat some of those. But if you have to, if you had to think about it, and if there are three reflective questions that either you find yourself asking yourself on a on a frequent basis, or you know, even the one that you know potentially allowed you to leave um, San Francisco, th- these are then loaded in the app to help others with their their own reflection. Yeah. You know, um, I, I have I have probably two sets of answers. Um, one that I think is just a, a fun one to just have available to you, um, whereas the other ones um, sure. are actually a set that I was using for a little while. Um, so the first one is to imagine that you're able to live until you're 400. Um, and I find this is useful because sometimes I will feel so compressed for time that I'm like, oh my God, I have to get everything done. And I get like so stressed out that I just kind of, become imperiled and, and can't move and I, I become paralyzed. So I've kind of taken this on of saying, you know, if I were to live until I was 400, well, geez, I got so much time left, you know, like I'll be fine. Um, so, so that's kind of, I think just a useful way of resetting your expectations on um, what you can accomplish like in your life and then having a little bit more um, uh, mm, sort okay. of relaxing this, you know, in, in, in approaching it. Sure. In terms of uh, what I was doing before um, for a daily like review, you know, it was essentially kind of doing like the grateful thing, like the, the gratitude journal. So, you know, what are three things that like I'm grateful for just to, you know, kind of get that going. Um, asking myself like what would make today great. 
Um, and then, you know, what are three goals that I could achieve that would make me feel accomplished? Um, so this is a way of, you know, I, I read um, this book, Make Time, which is really good. Um, if, you know, yeah, we've had, have you, have you read that one? yeah, you had we've had on? Jake on the, you're done awesome. with Jake Knapp, right? Yeah. 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 So I, I overlapped with him at Google and, um, I think their book is just so great. Like all the things that we were talking about before yeah. with like little techniques to kind of make your phone like less, you know, seductive in the wrong ways. Um, yeah. Infinity pools. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The infinity pools. That's right. Um, so yeah. So, so I think, you know, so it's like the, the three goals that'll, that'll make you feel accomplished. And then that that's kind of what I would do in the morning. And then in the evenings, what I would try to do is kind of capture like anything that I'd created um, or helped, you know, anybody that I helped anything that I learned and then what was going on like with my, you know, health or, or fitness and, and fitness kind of writ large, that could be mental health or fitness. That could be physical fitness, financial fitness, um, kind of a broad category. Mm. I like that one though. You know, who did I help today? Would that be how you would frame that up? If I were to put that in a question? Yeah, exactly. Right. That's right. Yeah. Um, I mean, it could be like, you know, there could be a project, right? Like sometimes um, one, of, one of my strange, you know, habits is to beta test a lot of software and then just to like, you know, give feedback. And so, sure. Um, the podcast app that I use is called breaker and I'm like constantly sending them, you know, feedback. So if I was particularly like helpful, you know, I might be like, you know, I help break, break her out with like, you know, this one problem or something, but typically, yeah, it is about people. I love it. Well, that, these are amazing. Thank you so much for, for sharing them. Um, the last question before uh, I, I give you a bit of an acknowledgement mm -hmm. is, is just, you know, at the end of the day, Chris, what, what truly makes you smile today? Hmm. Wow. Um, I think the thing that I find most valuable and rewarding, you know, is to really sit with like a person, like ideally in person and to really see them. And mm -hmm. it's not about me seeing them so much as them feeling like they're seen. And I think that takes, uh, some, some work, but a lot of patience and, you know, real deep, honest curiosity. And, um, I find that it's like this amazing gift that I can give people. And it's one that I, I really cherish and have learned to offer um, as often as I can. That's beautiful. I mean, and it's something, you know, that it, it's not materialistic. It's, it's really anyone could offer that, which uh, thank you. It's, it's, it's also unfortunately rare, you know, yeah, it's, it's actually exactly. rare and, um, and it's actually not that hard. Um, if you find, you know, if you, if, if people interest you, you know, and I think people want to be seen and they want to be, they want to know that they're not alone. That's, that's mostly, I think what the human experience is about. Totally. Well, first of all, you know, thank you for your time for this, for this conversation. I feel like we could, we could extend mm -hmm. this for, for hours. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for we'll, sure. we'll have to, we'll have to meet up at one point. Um, yeah. But the bigger thanks I want to offer is for something we're going to launch tomorrow, actually. And mm -hmm. This is the first time we do something like this, and we're we're launching a hashtag campaign on LinkedIn uh, titled "Being Human," mm -hmm. and the whole idea it. of it is to help the is help students with their mental health as they're about mm -hmm. to enter an exams through some free offerings and just get pe getting people to communicate, you know, practices and prompts and things that work for them, and you know, just the people I'm going to launch it with with without even knowing where it's going to go, that the first message or set of messages should reach at least six or 700,000 people. And that mm. I have, I'm giving you a warm Canadian hug for that because <laughs> that's significant. And, yeah. you know, as we speak, every 40 seconds, someone is, is, is cutting their life short. So if we can mm. 
we can save one person through that little hashtag, um, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it's worth it. So, so thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you. And I wish you the best in the travels. And we, um, like I said, I, I, I think you're coming to Montreal. So maybe I'll try to jet yes. over there at one point in your, in your journey. Try our best. Mm-hmm. Oh, awesome. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, have the absolute best day yet. Awesome. Well, thank you, Mark. Thank you.